Let's pray. Uh, our loving Father, we, we thank you for giving us this time together to learn more uh, of you and more of ourselves. We pray for your spirit to be among us this morning. Uh, Lord, enlighten our eyes, um, O oh Lord. Um, help us to understand and respond accordingly to what you have for us. Uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, in the triune name we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, what I want to do to open is to revisit uh, that lesson about God's love that we had several weeks ago. Uh, let me remind you of a few things of the love of God that we talked about. Uh, we said that God is love, as John says. Uh, love is part of uh, the divine identity. Uh, God cannot but love, uh, but he loves out of his own freedom. He is not coerced to do so, but he does because he is love. Uh, we also said that God's love is eternal. It is from everlasting to everlasting. It endures forever. Uh, it never had a beginning, nor will it ever have an end, uh, which uh, gives us tremendous comfort. Uh, I quoted uh, Gerhardus Voss, who said, the best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. Uh, then we went on to trace some of um, the two major analogies of the Bible uh, uh, that the Bible gives us to describe God's love. Uh, one is God is our tender father. He has adopted us as his children into his family, and he tenderly uh, disciplines us out of his great love for us. And two, God is our faithful husband. He lays down his life for his bride. And all this to say uh, that God is a generous lover. He, he generously loves us. Uh, this morning, we want to explore what it looks like to respond to God's generous love. How do we, as creatures made in his image, reflect the love that he has shown to us? Uh, or to ask it differently, how do we become generous with our hearts? And so here's the big idea uh, for us this morning. Uh, part of bearing God's image means we generously love God and others in embodied loyalty and deep affections. I'll say that again. Uh, part of bearing God's image means we generously love God and others in embodied loyalty and deep affections. Uh, so again, I want to brief briefly remind you uh, we can't ultimately separate the different aspects of the image of God. Uh, our mind, our heart and strength, uh, our knowledge, love and dominion, they all go together. Uh, we can make distinctions, but we can't ultimately separate them. Uh, because as soon as we separate them, uh, the image of God begins to unravel. Um, and, and again, we are not created to be divided beings. Uh, we're created as, as a united being in the image of God. Uh, so 
even as we focus on the heart this morning, uh, keep the mind and, and, and our strength in the background. Uh, then you can fill in some details that we otherwise can't cover. Uh, let me ask this very simple question to get things going. Uh, our culture has been asking it for a very long time. So here's the question, and I'm going to go ahead and unmute uh, everyone. What is love? What is love? Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it's not jealous, not self-seeking, and many other things. And many other, yes, nice. <laughs> I mean, you can't get a better definition than that. Aristotle said that love is willing the good of another. Good, okay. Well, First Corinthians says it bears all things, hopes all things, and believes all things. Those are the other things. <laughs> <laughs> so the other portion of... It's sacrificial. Sacrificial? Very nice. Thank you. It requires persons other than yourself, right? Love is, is directed outwards. It's, so it requires, so you think of the beginning of, beginning of John, right? God being face-to-face. -face, that's a picture of that eternal love. Like you said, that, <clears throat> that which is indivisible, it's not divided, it has integrity, it's whole and it's complete, but it's harmoniously being related between the persons. Yeah. That's actually uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, argument for, for the Trinity, right? Um, for God to be loved, he had to be more than just one person. Amen. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So let me, let me ask uh, a follow-up question then. What is our culture's view of love? What was that? It's bleeding and passing. It's fleeting and passing, okay? It's totally about self. Self-love. Self-love. I can only love other people if I first love me. Ah, uh, okay. With me. It's an emotion or a feeling. Yeah. Our, I think our culture has a, an idea of love that they can have split loyalties simultaneously. Mm. Mm. I feel like you read my manuscript, uh, Sean. Okay. Uh, go ahead and pause, everyone. Or, sorry, not pause, mute. Okay, it's, it's easy to see that our culture thinks uh, love is this mushy feeling we get uh, when we're attracted to someone. Love is often uh, relegated to an emotion. We see it all over. Uh, pop culture, singers uh, constantly mistake lust for love, as somebody said. Uh, you know them. Um, uh, you know them. They're the singers who have strong feelings for someone, and it makes them sing about it. Uh, well, they must be in love, right? Uh, we must guard ourselves into believing that love is simply having strong uh, emotional feelings about someone. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I don't think um, I want you to walk away 
thinking that emotions aren't important uh, because they are. We don't want to abandon our emotions when it comes to love. We don't just forget about them uh, because we're humans. We're created um, with emotions. That's the way God created us. Desires are super important. Uh, but, but love in the Bible is not primarily about desires. Uh, they're not central to uh, the scripture's conception of love. They're there, but they're not central. Um, they're not primary. So our goal is to put our desires in their proper place uh, because we don't want to turn love into mere sentimentalism. Um, but love involves both emotions and enacted commitment. Uh, remember what we said about God's love. He loves both as a father who adopts and a husband who is faithful. Uh, what do those two things have in common about their expression of God's love? Well, the foundation of both relationships is legal and covenantal. The father's ado adoption requires for him to provide for the needs of the children that he adopted. And the husband is required to be faithful to his spouse. Uh, they both involve legality with commitments. Uh, however, they simultaneously involve deep affections, right? What kind of a relationship is, is father and son and, and, and wife and, and husband without those deep affections? But the covenantal commitment and loyalty is the priority. Um, but those two things go together. We can't divorce them. Uh, there's covenantal requirements, um, but also intense affections involved. And so love is primarily an enacted faithfulness and loyalty towards God and other people in the Bible. Uh, in other words, love is first about action before it is about affection. Uh, the Bible doesn't know anything about a love that does not act in loyalty. Uh, I know that might so uh, sound wrong. It might rub some people the wrong way. Uh, because this dimension of love can be incredibly difficult to swallow. And it certainly opposes the popular understanding of love in our culture. I think people tend to reverse that in our culture where affection is first, then comes committed faithfulness. Uh, but love is first of all a command in the Bible. Love is something to be required of us. God commands us to love. And so it's not, it's not something we wait to have in our hearts. It's something we pursue despite of our hearts. Because what happens if we wait for our hearts to have that feeling before we can act uh, well, apart from the spirit, we will never love. And so it is first an, an enacted commitment to those whom it is directed. Uh, John says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Oh, I'm sorry, um, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of god is perfected by this we may know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked 
Uh, if you think about it, that's how God's love for us is primarily described. Uh, God acts to bring us good. The Bible calls that his, his love for us. Uh, think about Exodus. Uh, after 400 years in slavery, God generously liberates Israel from Egypt. Uh, we're told that this was God's generous love for them. And so having been delivered from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, Israel sang a song of celebration. Uh, listen to some of the lyrics uh, that Moses composed. It says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them uh, by your strength to your holy abode. I mean, did you hear that? God led Israel out of Egypt in his steadfast love. Uh, that, that word right there, steadfast love, is God's covenant loyalty. Uh, it's his hesed in the Hebrew. Uh, it's his absolute committed actions to do us good. Uh, what this means then is that God requires covenant loyalty in return. He has liberated us from, uh, like Israel. Uh, we belong to him and we are his servants. Uh, I think that can strike us as more than odd. How can God love us and yet be his servants to do his will? I'm going to go ahead and unmute uh, everyone and get your thoughts on that. You see? How can God love us and yet we still be his servants? Jesus gives us a clear example. He says that he didn't come to be served but to serve and he describes his service as an act of love right right yeah the lord himself comes to serve right he's the servant of the lord so even though those two things seem to be in conflict and, and, and in contradiction love and 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 being servants are not in they're, they're also imaged in within the Trinity itself, right? Because Christ submits himself to the Father's will in the covenant of redemption and even coming down here to save us. So being a servant, being in submission is right there in, in the image of God. Good. Isaiah 40, I think through 43, starts off calling Jacob or Israel God's servant and then shows their failure. And then God says that he will send the real servant and that real servant will come with both the sword and in love. Awesome. All right, does anybody else have any thought on that? Any thoughts? Go ahead and mute everyone.
See, the Bible tells us that love and, and being God's servant, they go together. Um, in fact, it says that we can't really love God unless we are his servants. And that's something to think about, I think, uh, for quite a long time. But let's turn to Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 and 10. Uh, Moses tells Israel um, this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is, is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Uh, notice how Moses addresses Israel as those who love the Lord. They are those who keep his commandments. Uh, now turn to 1 Kings 823. 1 Kings 823. Uh, this is a parallel passage. Uh, the building of the temple has just been finished. And this is part of Solomon's prayer of dedication. Uh, he says this, 1 Kings 8.23, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you, in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Uh, notice how similar the language is with Deuteronomy 7, right? They're, they're parallel passages. I think Solomon is reflecting on Moses' song. Uh, the Lord is the God who keeps covenant. He shows steadfast love. He shows covenant loyalty. But here's what's different, right? Deuteronomy 7 says God shows it to those who love him and keep his commandments. Uh, Solomon says God shows it to his servants who walk before God with all of their hearts. Uh, so one text says lovers and the other servants. They're not contradicting each other. Both are true. They're synonymous. To be a lover of God is also to be a servant of God. Because serving reflects back to God his generous love. Uh, think of Jesus who said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And so our love for God is an active response to his loving actions towards us, a, response, a responsive service uh, to what he has done for us. Uh, and no wonder God calls us to love, uh, because we too should enact covenant faithfulness, covenant goodness towards others. Uh, that's the pattern for not only loving God, but others too. Our love for others is always a response uh, to God's covenantal achievement, his covenantal actions. Uh, we don't love people because of their worthiness, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, John states it plainly, uh, we love because he first loved us. Uh, I know this could all sound like cold performance, 
Uh, it can be too formulaic and legalistic. And we have to say that uh, that's a real danger. Just like we can turn love into mere sentimentalism, uh, we can also turn love into mere outward display of obedience. Uh, that's why the Bible warns us of external obedience without devotion in our hearts. Uh, because God is not just after our external performance, um, though those external performance are meant to, um, meant to arouse in us those deep affections for God and for other people. Um, but God is not just after external performance. God is also after what's inside of our hearts. We can't forget about what's um, on the inside. Uh, God rebukes, constantly rebukes those who, who just act only. Uh, you know, of all the people, who was Jesus most critical of? Well, he was most critical of those religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, think of someone like Paul. Uh, he was a Pharisee. Uh, those leaders had theological acumen that would embarrass most reformed people. Uh, their training was off the charts. Uh, their art, outward performance of God's command was unmatched. Uh, but something was missing with them, right? What was missing? Uh, well, they were missing this internal devotion to God. Uh, so Jesus harshly rebukes them and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Uh, by the way, that's, this is what it's called, right? If you, if you just uh, act without uh, meaning it in your hearts, that's called hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So two things, right? We need, we need to, to enact uh, love, but we also need to, to develop those deep affections in our hearts for others and God. Uh, let's turn now to Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 4 through 9. I think you know this passage very well. The Jews call it the Shema, which means hear or listen, because that's the way the passage starts, right? Here's where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts, on your house, and on your gates. So according to the Shema, 
what does God require of us? Uh, in other words, how much or to what extent should we love God according to Deuteronomy 6? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. 100%. More than 100%. What was that? More than everything else. More than everything else. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone. Yeah, 100%. God wants it all. I think we heard a sermon, um, something like that, right? The title was something like that. God wants it all. Uh, the Lord wants it all. Love the Lord with everything you've got, our heart, our soul, and our strength. Uh, because God won't settle for just a section of the pie. He wants everything from you. And Jesus affirms this very thing. Uh, one of the scribes comes up to Jesus and asks, uh, which commandment is the most important of all? Uh, Jesus' response is the Shema. He says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Uh, so according to Christ, God demands our complete allegiance. Our love for him must be entirely undivided. And so we're supposed to love God with everything we got. Does that mean we shouldn't love other people? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. Well, no, because right after um, the verse you just talked about in Mark, he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Oh, man, that's, un that's in my manuscript, Cheyenne. <laughs> okay. Exactly, exactly. Okay, I'll go ahead and mute everyone. <laughs> yeah, so here's this thing, right? Loving God with, all, with our whole heart doesn't mean we shouldn't love our neighbors. Uh, it, it just means loving our neighbors is contained in what it means to love God with all of our heart. Um, yes, Jesus affirms um, the Shema, but Jesus also attaches a second command. He says, the second, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Uh, why does Jesus add this command? Uh, it, it, well, it's because loving our neighbor as ourselves is ultimately an act of love and loyalty to God. Uh, we can't divorce uh, our love for God and our love for people. It is impossible, uh, which, is, which brings us to our next section. Uh, to generously love God is to simultaneously generously love people created in his image. It's not either or, it's both and. To love people is to perform undivided love towards God. Uh, so I'm going to, to unpause um, to see if you have any questions or reflections before we move on. Here's something that I wanted to add in terms of the, the neighbor and friend type of love is uh, John 15, where he says, 
Greater has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Man, I, I might as well just give you guys the manuscript, right? Like, Okay, I'll go ahead and mute everyone. So loving our neighbors doesn't suggest that our love for God is divided. It's exactly the opposite. Uh, the Ten Commandments mirror this principle. Uh, the first half are about loving God, uh, but the second half are about loving our neighbors. The two tables are not in conflict. Uh, the one informs the other. And so it's impossible to love God without also loving our neighbors. And likewise, it's impossible to love our neighbors without also loving God. Uh, that's how close uh, their relationship is. In fact, John says that you're a liar if you can do one without the other. Uh, John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I think what John is getting at is very challenging. Uh, there are many people who say that they love God. See, uh, I go to church all the time, every Sunday. Uh, I read the Bible. I like learning about theology. Uh, I'm a theology geek. Uh, but those same people often treat their spouses and their children like dirt. They're always critical of outsiders. Uh, they don't humble themselves for the good of others. Uh, beloved, John says such people don't really love God. It doesn't matter how much they insist that they do. John says no. And so he goes on to say, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Uh, because that person hates the image of God that he sees with his eyes. Uh, human beings are God's representatives on earth. If you hate God's representative, you hate God. And so it makes sense that loving God involves loving his image. That's why it's hypocrisy to say we love God and hate our neighbors at the same time. Uh, maybe, maybe most of us don't struggle with that kind of hypocrisy, uh, I don't think. Uh, but we do struggle with another thing. Uh, it's one thing to love those we find agreeable and pleasant. Uh, but Jesus says that we must also love our enemies. Uh, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, 
what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Uh, is Jesus contradicting the scriptures? Well, not at all. Uh, Jesus is elucidating the deeper intent of the scriptures uh, because it turns out the law is actually about love. The law was always meant to drive us to love uh, one another and even our enemies, even those who we find so difficult to love. Uh, so when we love, we are acting in accordance with the law. Uh, Paul puts it like this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another, uh, loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 8. Uh, loving our enemies might be the most difficult thing God calls us to do. Uh, but loving our enemies is also one of the more clear signs that we do love God. It's a real sign that our love for him is undivided. Because if we are unwilling to let our hatred um, get the best of us, if we're unwilling to, um, to hate a brother, then love surely is working within us. And it shows our undivided love towards God. So I, I want to end by asking this question then, and we can kind of spend the rest of our time reflecting on it. What should our love for one another look like as the family of the Lord? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. What should our love for one another look like as the family of the Lord? It should be the same even when we disagree with people. It should be the same, you said, Will? Even when we disagree with people. Okay. Anybody else? I, I mean, I can't help but think back to what you were saying about hypocrisy mm -hmm. uh, I wrote it down this way but you know action that lacks heart is hypocrisy right mm -hmm. like a check backed by nothing and it made me think that we we think that the oftentimes we think good works are whether we think this actively or not that they're separate from love right it's about duty and when we think of duty, we think of a heartless sort of vigor. But like you're saying, it is utterly about devotion. Um, and so, I mean, that means more mortification of the self. But I think love and community um, looks like that heart-filled action, right? Um, compassion, um, self-forgetfulness like Christ. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, I was recently reading through 1 Corinthians uh, about 
uh, 10, 11, 12, some of those chapters, we all have the same spirit. And so we're all part of the one body. And whatever giftings we have, whatever good works, whatever skills, all is meant to contribute to that whole. And so whatever contributes to the building up of the body of Christ, to pointing other people toward the Lord and helping them on their journey, uh, to, for, to further unifying the body of Christ, like those are all, I think, proper expressions of love in our fellowship. Good. Yeah, I think what, what you both said go together very well, right? That building of the, of the body doesn't, um, doesn't happen apart from us laying down our rights, apart from us, um, you know, forgetting about ourselves and dying to ourselves. I think that, yeah, I think those are good. Yeah, I, th I think it made me, that just made me think of like the image of Israel wandering towards the promised land, right? Like that's such a beautiful picture of what love and community looks like, right? The abled bodies tending to those on this journey as we're all moving in exile right now to that celestial city, right? Performing, again, just loving and devotionally the, that which is required of us, right? Because you said love is a command. It's required. It's not something that's a sub-note. It's of the utmost. And since exile is, you know, the greatest picture that we tend to use, I think that is, is a really good analogy. Nice. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone. So if we're ever unsure of what that looks like, um, we just need to look to Jesus, right? Because in him, we see that generous love of God. Uh, we see it for truly for what it is. In him, we encounter both embodied loyalty and deep affections. Uh, Jesus came to serve, but he also um, deeply cared for his sheep. He wept. When his, uh, when his brother dies, right? When his brother Lazarus dies. Um, because Jesus' love for God was undivided, which showed itself in his love for God's people. And so we need to look again and again uh, to Jesus, but even more to his cross, uh, because there we are faced with the surpassing generous love of God, uh, Christ's self-giving love, um, there becomes our pattern for loving God and others. And so Paul says, uh, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, Ephesians 5, 2. Uh, John puts it like this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Uh, Self-giving should be... Um, the shape of our love towards one another. Our, our love for one another should always be cruciform, right? Cruciform. It always looks like denying ourselves and giving ourselves for one another. Uh, because uh, that, that act of denying ourselves and giving ourselves is, is really a, a, the proper response to, to our our God's love for us. It is to say, 
we are committed to the Lord when we give ourselves to others. Uh, I mean, what, the question is, why don't we love more in a self-giving way? Why don't we do this more as a community? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. Because it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Can you say that again, Pat? We are fearful of how others will respond to us. Oh, fearful. Yeah. I really agree. Yeah. Yeah. What are we so fearful of? Sorry. Criticism, rejection. Criticism. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I know that's that's my problem when when I refuse to deny myself and, and, and take up my cross for other people. It's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid mm -hmm. of those things. Anybody else? Thanks. It's also due to our sin, and we see this in examples of <clears throat> um, Cain and Abel and the sons of the patriarchs. It's far easier for us to tear each other down than to build each other up. Mm, yeah. Love always requires sacrifice, <clears throat> and I think our nature is to try to self-preserve, you know, mm -hmm. conserve our energy, conserve our resources, instead of, you know, being willing to sacrifice and give, even with, if it might, you know, um, cost us something. Oh, that's yeah. disgusting. It's your selfishness. John, are you are you guys saying something? We can hear you. Yeah, no, I, I, I that's that's spot on, uh, Sarah. Uh, let me go ahead and unmute or mute everyone. Yeah, I think Pat is exactly right. We're um, because we're afraid of being hurt, uh, but generous love requires the possibility of being hurt, right? There, there, there's no such thing as I'll only love you if if you're worthy, if you're gonna love me in return, if if you if you don't hurt me, right? Um, here, here's I'll end with this quote. I, I think C.S. Lewis gets it exactly right. Uh, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly um, be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Lock it up safe in the, in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, the alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and per perturbations of love is hell. Um, may we as a congregation risk it all, <laughs> risk, 
loving one another, even if it means uh, being hurt, because that's the way uh, the Lord has loved us in Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, uh, we give you the praise for your great love for us. Uh, you have given what is most precious to you, that we might live and become more and more like our Jesus, uh, our Lord. Uh, help us uh, now to prepare our hearts to hear from your word. Uh, be with Pastor Brett as he brings your word to us. Use him to encourage our hearts and stir us up to love you and one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.